Please be seated. So our epistle this morning comes to us from Paul's letter to the Romans. We're in the fifth chapter of that letter, beginning at verse 12. Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned, sin was indeed in the world before the law. But sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who is to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. That's a really great passage of Scripture. Pastor, what exactly is Paul trying to tell us? Well, <clears throat> Paul in his letter to the Romans outlines for us the original systematic theology. Well, what does that mean? Paul's letter to the Romans explains throughout the entirety of the letter the process and practice of Christianity. This is kind of the way that it works. The synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they give us the teachings of Jesus. And the Gospel according to John gives us what it all means in this deeply spiritual way. And then the Epistle of Romans outlines for us how it all works. It's a guidebook for we the church, for Christians, for Christ followers. How do I practice being a Christian? If you want to know the answers to those questions, we go to Romans. And so here in this chapter, Paul is explaining to us how the original sin committed by the first Adam, by the first man, with a little bit of help, collaboration from the first woman, Eve, how that original sin has impacted all of humanity even to the present day. And Paul contrasts the impact of the original sin 
with the impact of the second Adam, the second man, Jesus, who through His atonement, His perfectly sinless life, and His death on the cross, wiped the sin debt clean for all of humankind forever. A little bit clearer, but I'm still not there yet, Pastor. You know how the story of Adam landed us in this sin dilemma that we're in, right? They ate of the fruit, they were told not to, and so the sin of disobedience caused them to be exiled from the garden, and along with them, this separation from God, the rest of humanity... found themselves in a state of sin. First the sin, death followed, and no one was exempt from either sin or death from that point forward. The sin disturbed the relationship that we had with God, with everything and everyone. But the extent of that disturbance in the relationship, wasn't made clear until God spelled it out in great detail in what? The commandments. How do you know you're sinning if there's no rules to follow? And so what are the commandments? Thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do this, right? So this huge abyss, death, that was separating us from God dominated our human experience from Adam to Moses. And then we had the law. And suddenly everyone's held accountable to the law. Even those who didn't sin like Adam did, not the same way that Adam did, by disobeying a specific command of God, still those people experience this termination of life, this separation from God that we call death. The thing is, Adam, who who got us into this sin situation, is the same person who points to the one, Jesus, who gets us out of it. How does that work? Well, Adam is typical of you and me. Typical of every one of us. He represents the sinful condition of all humans everywhere. Jesus stands for the justification. Another word for that is salvation. Jesus stands for the salvation of all people who receive Him by faith. So the story of the redemption of humankind is really the story of these two men, Adam and Jesus. The first one, who disobeyed God, took the whole human race down the wrong path. We agree? The other one, the second one, who obeyed God and provided salvation for all who turn away from sin and turn to Him in faith. So it doesn't matter how terrible and devastating the sin of the first man was, the work of the second man, the redemptive work of Jesus in His life and His death on the cross, reverse the consequences of that sin. And it's still doing it. And it will forever 
reverse the consequences of all sin and restores all people to the favor and the righteousness of holy God. And we simply have to acknowledge it, believe it, say yes to it. We have to first grasp the seriousness of our sin condition, the sin that we find ourselves in because of the first man, so that we can understand just how very much we need the grace, the mercy, the redemption made possible, only made possible by the second man. Paul then goes into a part of this passage of Scripture where he explains to us that the gift is not like the sin. The impact of the gift is much greater than the impact of the sin, which you have to admit was pretty great. Adam sinning, causing the rest of humankind up until the point where Jesus came and gave us the opportunity to choose Him from the time that Adam sinned all the way until that opportunity comes for each of us, we are under a death sentence. That's a pretty strong impact. The magnitude of the gift of Jesus Christ is much greater than that. The message version, I think, explains it pretty well. So let me read to you from the message version about the gift and the trespass. It says, Yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people at the dead-end abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift poured through the one man Jesus Christ, will do. There's no comparison between that death-dealing sin and this generous life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that followed because of Jesus was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing... Can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes? Sovereign life in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right gift that the one man Jesus Christ provides. Here it is in a nutshell, Paul says. I like nutshells. I can understand nutshells. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us all into this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many in the right. So what do we do with this systematic theology, this instruction book that Paul has given us. What do we do with this gift of redemption that God is giving us through Jesus Christ? These are the questions that we need to reflect upon 
during these 40 days of Lent. Sin and death are the order of the day for all humankind. Eternal separation from God is where all of us are headed because of our sin, except, but, Jesus has paid that debt for all of us. And we can receive that free gift of redemption by simply confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when we do that, the sin debt is paid in full. All of it is wiped clean. And so Lent is an opportunity to examine ourselves, to look inside our hearts, and figure out just where we stand with God and where we stand with Christ. If you were here Ash Wednesday, you would have heard me say something like, you can give up things for Lent in some sacrificial offering if you want to. You can give up red meat. You can give up Cokes. You can give up sugar. You can give up smoking. You can give things up. But if that's the only thing that Lent means to you, then I think you might be missing the point. Here's the thing that occurs to me. If I'm willing to make this journey to the cross with Jesus during Lent, if, if I'm willing to walk step by step with Jesus, and all along the way, if I'm willing to look into my heart and find those places that aren't filled with Jesus, but are filled with other things that I've hidden away, known only to me, but trust me, they're not, little places in my heart that I've reserved for my own self-interest and my own selfishness. Instead of giving up red meat or Cokes, why not give up something of eternal significance? Why not examine yourself and find out where it is that you're broken and offer those things up to God? Why not look inside your heart and find out what things in your past that might cause you shame or a feeling of guilt? And trust me, we all have those, whatever they are for you. Why not give those things to the God who wants to take them from you? Why not give up your prejudices? Why not give up any hatred you harbor for another, whether it's one person or a group of people? Why not dig deep, do some heart surgery, scoop out those places in your heart where Jesus doesn't reside and allow him to fill those in for you? You can give up the Cokes and the red meat if that... Sounds sacrificial to you. 
But what good is that sacrifice if you're just going to go back to them after 40 days? Really? Because as I say, Jesus did not go to the cross for you and for me so that we might give up red meat for 40 days. That sounds a little ridiculous when it gets right down to it, doesn't it? No, Jesus went to the cross for us to take our sin upon himself and to give us his righteousness instead. And quite frankly, we would be foolish not to take advantage of that offer. And Lent is the time of year where we do that. It's an opportunity for us to cleanse our hearts and walk along that way to the cross with Jesus because if we're willing to make that journey with Him and we finally get to the cross and maybe we're willing to carry it a little bit of the way up the hill to Golgotha, Maybe we're willing to climb on that cross with our own sin and offer it up. When we finally get to Resurrection Sunday, then we get to share in the resurrection. If you've done the work through Lent, you've done the heart surgery, you've done the soul searching, when you finally get to Resurrection Sunday, Jesus' triumph over sin and death will be your triumph over sin and death. Imagine how much brighter Easter morning will be if you can come into this worship service free of all the stuff that's been in your heart. So when you do the heart surgery, you have to do a little bit at a time. First of all, you have to surgically remove the shell that you put around your heart that prevents the love of God, the forgiveness of God from getting inside. You remove that shell and then you open your heart to Christ and he's more than willing. He's happy to come in. The Holy Spirit will help you identify those things that need to come out of your life. And then Christ will fill those Spaces so that there's no room in your heart for anything else but Him. And thus you share in the victory of Easter Sunday. What we must do from the moment we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior is to commit to learning all we can, sharing all we can to whoever we can, continuing to grow in Christ, continuing to be more like Him, living our lives according to His example, loving God and loving our neighbors. And so it's a simple formula that Paul is giving us, saying through one man, one sin, there was condemnation for all. But... Through one man, one act of righteousness, there was salvation for all. We went from everyone being in Adam to everyone being in Christ, those that accept Him. We went from all people being resigned to sin and death to all people with opportunity for life and truth. 
And so Paul tells us, live your life worthy of the gift of life that you have been given. And it starts with an examination of your heart. Once you get your heart right, your life will follow and fall into place. Study Scripture. If your Bible is tattered and torn from use, if your Bible is tattered and torn from your digging into it, if your Bible is tattered and torn, there's a good chance that your life won't be. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our hymn is Beneath the Cross of Jesus.